good okay all right if y'all would please just as little moving around as possible and um a little talk and everything just helped me out it helps me also helps others to be able to focus and and i really appreciate you guys agreeing with me in prayer tonight over the word of the lord um this is going to be an, an interesting word i think that you'll get a lot out of it all right so father we just lift up we pray tonight for the word of god and we love you and we thank you so much for your word i mean where would be where would we be today without the word of god and lord i thank you so much for giving us a word that we can uh, a bible we can study but lord tonight i believe this is what you're speaking to your people and we're asking you that by the awesome presence and power of the holy spirit just to brood over all those that are going to be listening to this they may be driving down the road in a car you know listening through a podcast or or something like that and but Lord, I pray that where people are, your Holy Spirit would just invade and help us, Lord, to give you our best and full attention, our focus. We ask you to anoint our eyes and ears and give us eyes and ears of the Spirit so we can see and understand what you're saying and what you're revealing to us. And Lord, that you would help us to be good, fertile soil for the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that, that the Holy Spirit even now prepare hearts and minds to be good soil that the word of God will go out as you speak through me what you want spoken, everything that needs to be spoken. And it will go out as living seeds of truth sown in a good soil of people's lives, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. <clears throat> Lord, we ask you for fruit that remains. And we also ask you that the winds of your Holy Spirit, Lord, will carry this word everywhere it needs to go among the nations. Because there's people through the internet that hear this all over the world. They really do. Lord, let the winds of the Spirit carry this to every ear that's supposed to hear it. Let your mighty angels watch over it and guard the word of God. For the Bible promises us that your word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So we agree together as a church and we bind the devil. I mean, any satanic force that would try to hinder this word, we bind you now in the name of Jesus. We command you to get your filthy hands off and away from it. You're not going to hinder it in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for this breaking forth. The word of God be as a washing of the water. The word cleanse people. Light of truth shining and dispelling all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy. And really be able to penetrate and get where it needs to be. It's a two-edged sword to cut through and get right to where it needs to be. Lord, we thank you right now for hearing and answering these prayers. We believe it. We believe we have received it now, and there's an expectation. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite subjects to preach on. That is prayer. And this is part 10. And I'm going to obviously entitle it The Power of Prayer. And I usually give just a ton of scripture and have them here but i'm going to let people just kind of do their own homework this week and i encourage you to read first samuel 21 and 22 this week it's in the notes but i don't have it all printed here but it talks about david's travels and here's the passage here's the um the the chapter and verse the scripture i want to give you is matthew 21 verse 13 jesus said my house will be called a house of prayer now see, this is the important thing I hope to convey tonight. Even though evangelism and outreach is huge importance, it is. It's a major theme in my life. Even though discipleship is very important. Not only do I pastor, but I'm a teacher, and discipleship is important to me. 
And even though all that's the case, even though praise and worship up here, and praise and worship's important, the things that we do, all of it's important, but Jesus put the emphasis on when we gather, it's to be prayer. I'm just telling you, and I know you, you can agree with me tonight, Jesus said the house of God will be a house of prayer. That's what the emphasis needs to be. And as I go through this sermon tonight, I believe that you'll understand um, why the devil desperately does not want to see that happen. There are certain things, I'm going to get to it later in the sermon, but there are certain things that the devil will fight. And prayer is one of them, big time. So we'll get to that. I've got some stories that I think will really challenge you. But David was a man of prayer. And in this series I'm doing on Mikdash, which is sanctuary in Hebrew, um, I'm dealing right now with the travels of David and he went to several different places as he ran from Saul and God used that time it could have been up up to around 16 years uh, you know scholars debate about exactly how long but there were definitely several years that David was on the run and while he was fleeing for his life he went to about seven different locations that were very very key and the third place that he went was called Nob and it was a place where the priest dwelled okay and I guess this was a city maybe that was given to them and in their inheritance or whatever but David David traveled to Nob as he fled from Saul and when he did the story goes like this David's fleeing for his life his men are now hungry I mean they've gone for some time without eating they've, they've grown weary and he comes upon this city and there's a priest there um, named Ahimelech. Um, Ahi means brother, Melech, many of you probably know, means king. So they got there, and this priest was, was uh, associated with the tabernacle, obviously. And David asked him, said, is there any bread or anything you could give us? And the priest told him, said, there's not any normal bread, but we have the consecrated bread, which would be what would be set out in the tabernacle and you know at the what we call the communion table today but the table of showbread he said we have some some of that have your men have your men kept themselves pure and David said we have and so he gave them the consecrated bread and they ate of that and David was asking him is there anything else that you could give us any swords or any weapons or anything to help us and Ahimelech says listen he said we don't have anything but we have Goliath's sword here that's tucked away and wrapped up and, and, and David said give it to me there's none like it there's a lot of prophetic symbolism here what I'm talking about and so David and his men were refreshed there and strengthened and they left that place strengthened and ready for battle so in dealing with prayer in my opinion prayer is one of the most important aspects outside of somebody accepting Christ as their savior probably the next most important thing that can be developed in their life is that of having a personal prayer life because God is interested in relationship but most people 
unfortunately in Christianity I'm not being negative I'm not shooting this at anybody I'm just saying what I really genuinely believe from my heart to be the truth I believe that most people do not have personal relationships like that a personal prayer life and because of that they struggle in many ways in many many ways that they don't have to struggle they could get the victory but they don't have that close relationship that they could have I've heard it said that you can be as close to the Lord as you want to be and I believe in many respects that is true and many people don't know how to pray and this isn't is something I'm going to deal too much with in this sermon because I don't have the time but we have a series called going deeper in prayer on our website it's also in the podcast and sermon.net and all of that if you want to go there and study about how to have an effective prayer life it'll teach you but that is probably the most important aspect outside of being saved okay that's probably the next most important thing is that you develop a personal living relationship with the Lord through prayer and also for a church I believe that the most important aspect of a church is that they will have some kind of corporate prayer it may vary from church to church how they do it when they do it but they better have some kind of prayer or they're not going to be everything that they could be so there's a lot of different directions I could go tonight in this sermon I didn't give a lot of notes because I wanted to just be led by the spirit but I didn't want this to sound overly negative but I wanted to create kind of paint an accurate picture of the way I believe things are by and large because of a lack of having a personal prayer life most Christians don't even if they have what they call a quiet time they might just read the Bible for a few minutes and that's about it but they don't pray I'm not talking about reading the Bible that's important I read the Bible every day I study the word and I am not taken away from that that's very important but prayer is not reading a book prayer is prayer it's listening and it's also speaking and if somebody really learns how to pray it is not just giving God your list of things that you want him to do it's not just that it's much more than that it's a relationship but because most people by and large again I'm not shooting this at anyone I'm just speaking as the body of Christ as a global entity all over the world that most people don't have a prayer life and because they don't they don't really have discernment the way they should and y'all hear me because what I'm about to say is important because they don't really have discernment for themselves they follow money charismatic personalities the smoke and the lights the excitement fads in Christianity they follow those sort of things and sometimes God may be in something like that but how many of you guys know that sometimes things can look amazing on the outside and God's nowhere in it and other times it could not look like much of anything but God is very much in it but they don't understand that because they don't have that relationship they're not led by the spirit they don't have a living personal relationship so they just go with fads they go with charismatic personalities and the crowds they follow crowds that's dangerous I'm just telling you 
But people that really have a living personal relationship with the Lord, they've developed. They've developed their inner spirit, man. They've developed over time their inner senses. Hebrews says solid meat is for the mature who have by use trained their inner senses to discern good from evil. They've learned to distinguish between good and evil. And I'm talking about spiritually. And they've learned how to get out of that second heaven realm. This is very important. You know, I, I pray that God help me have discernment to pick up on what the enemy's doing so that I can pray and I can be aware of it. But that's not how I live my life. I live my life on what the Lord is doing. I want to know where he's moving, what he's speaking. Just like tonight, I based on what I'm going to preach, I spent time with the Lord. He gave me this sermon for tonight. It's not for next week. It's for tonight. I'm not going to preach it or not preach it based on anything the devil's doing. I'm going to preach it because this is what the Lord's doing. Whether the devil likes it or not, whether he stirs up whatever, it don't make me a bit of difference. I understand what's going on in the second heaven. God allows me to, to be aware of things that I need to be aware of. But many, too many people, I've already preached on this in this series not that long ago, so if you, you should be familiar, but... This, your inner spirit man is where the Holy Spirit dwells and therefore that is connected to the third heaven that's connected to God and what God's doing and that's what we need to be led by is the spirit those that are led by the spirit are sons of God son implies maturity and the Greek implies this those that are continually led by the spirit but the soul area of your minds, your emotions, all of that, that part of you is very much connected to your fallen nature. That part of you, we live in such a sinful world. And I would say that everybody that's hearing this sermon would agree with me that your mind and your emotions a lot of times is the area of the battlefield. The devil tries to use Ephesians chapter 6 fiery darts and where does he try to hit you in your mind and in your emotions so your soul area is somewhat of a battleground but it's also an area that must be renewed and as you meditate on the Word of God there's a washing of the water the Holy Spirit within you if you'll ask him he will begin to move into your soul area and help strengthen you. But we are not to be led by our soul. Y'all hear what I'm saying? We're not to be led by just our human reasoning alone and we're not to be led by our emotions. Because those things, can the enemy can try to manipulate those things. But once you have a cultivated, developed relationship with the Lord... And you know the Holy Spirit for yourself. You have a developed relationship. You're not going to be swayed. Because your emotions may be up one day and down the next. But it doesn't affect anything anymore. 
because you're led by the Spirit. Even though the devil may put thoughts in your mind, you've learned to renew your mind. You've learned to recognize that tactic. You've learned to recognize when he tries to get you your emotions upset or, or afraid. Too many people are led by fear. That's an emotion. But the Bible also says it's a spirit. So many times people, the enemy will begin to maneuver fear in their emotions and a spirit will, a fear will try to manipulate them. And if they don't recognize that and rebuke that, next thing you know, they're trying to make decisions out of an emotional fear thing. That's a good way to get out of the will of God for your life. And many times people in their, their mind, their human intellect, which is, you know, our human intellect is so limited. We can only understand a little bit about God if we're going to be honest about it. We have his word, we have his spirit, we have the church. But our, our little finite mind is like a raindrop compared to God's infinite knowledge of an ocean. So us trying to think that we got God figured out, or we understand how we're going to maneuver our lives. Jesus said, look, you can't even make one hair on your head turn gray or not. How in the world are you going to fix tomorrow? So we don't need to be trying to figure everything out in our human intellect, which is extremely limited, but rather we need to learn to be led by the Spirit. And the way that we're led by the Spirit is cultivating a relationship with the Lord. How many people have their emotions... That's, that unfortunately is attacked. I'm talking about second heaven and dark forces begin to attack. And all of a sudden, some negative thought will be shot into their mind about a church, a preacher, or another Christian. And they think that that thought, well, this is how I really feel. Next thing you know, their emotions are stirred up and they're angry. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Then the next thing you know, they are leaving somewhere God put them. Because they've got negative thoughts they've entertained in their mind against a church or against a leader or against other Christians. And they're being led by their soul. And they're being led by the enemy manipulating their soul. And that's a sign of immaturity in the body. But unfortunately, I would say that it's widespread. I hate to say that. I don't want to sound negative, but just from my personal experience, I would say that it's, it's a very widespread problem. And people don't discern a lot of times things that are going on. They don't discern the spiritual battle. They don't understand um, that the way that they're thinking right now or feeling right now is actually the enemy shooting fiery darts. They just don't think that way. And they don't discern it. And so very, very foolish decisions are made. Sometimes when the enemy starts attacking, things are said, things are done, and now God's got to come in and start moving on people and kind of heal a lot of wounds that could have been avoided had people discerned, hey, you know what? I think this is the devil. Why don't we bind and rebuke this thing instead of giving in to it here? But it's all rooted in a personal relationship with the Lord. And you begin to learn out of that relationship how to walk in the Spirit. You begin to learn. Here's, here's what God taught me years ago. 
prayer is the place where you begin to see the flesh crucified i believe with all my heart you know paul said i die daily and he talked about being crucified with christ i believe with all my heart really the way that you die daily and you live a crucified life and you bring your flesh under submission is through a personal prayer life because as you begin to pray your flesh doesn't want to your flesh does not want to pray your flesh doesn't want to seek God your flesh doesn't want to get into the word your flesh wants to sleep your flesh wants to eat your flesh wants to watch TV your flesh wants to do everything else but it's within you your spirit within you is longing for the Lord and the way that you begin to die to that flesh and bring it under is by spending time with the Lord and as you begin to enter in in prayer your flesh is subdued and brought under and as you meditate on the Word of God and as you spend time with the Lord and and your thoughts and your emotions and all that become more and more uh, transformed in the, in the image of Christ and God begins to work on you then more and more we're being conformed to the image of Christ but it really goes back in many ways to a personal relationship so it's just something that is my personal opinion remember jesus emphasized watch and pray you don't know the hour of the coming of the son of man and jesus kept telling people watch and pray watch and pray you have to think to yourself okay why does he keep telling us that because i mean you know a lot of people just believe well, i mean if you just you accept christ as your savior you're just simply just going to be ready you know well the fact that jesus kept saying over and over to believers watch and pray watch and pray make sure that you're ready when the son of man comes leaves me to believe that maybe we need to be watching and praying and maybe he told us that for a reason and there's a law in the scriptures about the the law of first reference and usually the place that something is mentioned first kind of sets a precedent and it's very important for the entire rest of the bible and you know the very first rapture that took place in the Bible was a man by the name of Enoch. And what marked Enoch's life? We don't know based on the scripture. We don't know hardly anything about him. But the Bible made sure he was mentioned and made sure that we knew this about him. The very first rapture mentioned in the Bible was by a man that God said in the Amplified that he habitually walked with God. And because he was such a man of prayer, walking with God, he was raptured out of that evil generation. Isn't that something? So I believe prayer is going to have a lot to do as a determining factor about those who are going to be wise virgins with extra oil and those who are going to be foolish virgins that don't have extra oil. So some things about prayer that God has taught me because years ago when I as I began to God really touched my life and I remember when he did in January of 97 God began to draw me into prayer and I didn't know how to pray and I'd never been around a lot of it but God really blessed me because there were two elderly women that were at this particular church I was at and they were both intercessors and God began to place in me a hunger, and I mean a real deep hunger, to be in prayer. And so I was going up there 
by myself and nobody else, else was there and I was trying to I was single at the time I was trying to just seek the Lord learn how to pray and I'd go in the sanctuary by myself and um, anyway I, I began to seek the Lord about how to pray effectively because to be honest with you it seemed really dry and difficult when I first started and I thank God because these elderly women because I was up there praying all the time they were coming up to pray as intercessors and our paths began to cross see and they began to see that God was doing something in my life so they kind of took me under their wing and, and taught me a lot of stuff and it was neat because I would I would hear them pray and they sounded exactly like what you hear like Brianna I'm just telling you I really believe that there's an anointing from them to me to her but that's how they sounded when they pray and I remember that they would pray about specific things the Holy Spirit led them and then they would pray and as they would pray I would see those things unfold in the church and friend let me tell you that stuck with me and as I began to seek the Lord in prayer God began to send things my way to teach me how to pray and I began to understand the importance of coming through the blood that we have to you know be washed and covered in the blood it's the blood that takes us into the glory of the Lord and so as I began to learn how to pray and come through the blood the next is praise and worship I began to learn how to worship the Lord and and as, as through the blood and worship the presence of God began to come and God really began to, to come in a powerful way and I began to sense his presence and I began to get to know the Holy Spirit and learn how to pray and I believe that's for everybody okay I believe that every Christian can have a personal relationship with the Lord and I'm not talking about just accepting him as your savior I mean that he speaks to you that you hear from God and that he gives you understanding of the scripture that he leads you in decisions you make in life and that his presence is you know awesome in your life I believe everybody can have that but here's something that I've learned too just down through the years of ministry I've seen a lot of things come and go a lot of people come and go and a lot of things happen I think the reason why a lot of people don't have the the relationship they could and they don't have the presence of God in their life that they could is because they're content without it now I really believe I'm right about this because I've thought about this for a long time and I've wondered why is it that some people they come for a short time God touches them and then they seem to it just isn't there anymore and I've wondered about that for years about many different people and I've come to the conclusion that the Bible says if you draw nigh unto God he'll draw nigh to you if you hunger and thirst after righteousness you'll be filled and so I began to come to the conclusion that people that are not content to live that way there it's like I, I've got to have more of the Lord the Bible says I believe in Jeremiah when you seek me with all your heart you'll find me see a lot of people it's just like well if God moves in my life today great you know but if he don't it's okay and they're just content like that but from what I understand out of the scriptures that probably they're not really going to have much of a move of God in their life at all but those that are hungry and are pressing into him they're drawing nigh to him they're seeking him with all their heart there's a yearning they're not content without him you understand 
they're desperate. They're saying, Lord, I've got to have a move of God in my life. I've got to have your presence. I've got to know you. And they really seek after him. Those are the ones that are going to find him. So when you look at the tabernacle, it's such an incredible revelation. The whole tabernacle is amazing. It's an amazing study on many levels. I mean, there's things about end time prophecy in it. There's things about a personal relationship. There's patterns for the church. You see Jesus through the whole thing. But I just want to mention one thing tonight about the tabernacle. Once you get past that outer court, which is your flesh, once you get past the flesh and you move into the holy place, that's the place of your soul area, and that's the place where you move into prayer, and you begin to seek the Lord there. But it's interesting that in that holy place, there's a table of showbread. There's a table where there were 12 loaves of bread and a pitcher of wine and it, it's it's a picture and type of communion as we know it today or a covenant meal that's on the right on the left you have the menorah you have a seven branched lampstand that's lit and supposed to be going all the time and then directly in front of you right there at the veil um, you have the golden altar of incense and see this soul area that we have that table of showbread represents your will you remember when jesus was in the garden of gethsemane and he said father not my will your will be done but if it is your will take this cup from me but he yielded his will to the father it's interesting he referenced take this cup from me there, there's something about what i'm about to share with you i think that can be multi-layered revelation about whether it be the communion table and us, you know, living a crucified life and uh, here with the table of showbread, etc. But bottom line is God is really looking for this aspect of us, our will, to be conformed to his will. Because Adam and Eve, they, they made a decision to sin. You know, out of all that happened, it wasn't so much the fact that Eve was deceived that in and of itself wasn't the sin it was when they made a decision to disobey God so I'm gonna come back to that on the left is the menorah and you know that represents like your mind beginning to understand things you didn't understand before I mean you guys can say that's been here with River of Life for some time you can say that there was a time when maybe you would read the Bible and you didn't really get any deeper revelation but but now there's times that you'll see something that God illuminates to you and you see something that you never saw before and you know that it's God showing you that. He's helping you understand it. It's like he's enlightening your eyes to be able to see something. How many have had that happen before? You say, man, I never saw that before. I didn't. But it's the Holy Spirit that's illuminating that to you. And what that is, the, the menorah there, represents like your mind being renewed and beginning to understand things that you didn't before because in prayer God will teach you the Bible Jesus said about the Holy Spirit he's come to be a comforter and a guide and he will teach you so the Holy Spirit will teach you things you didn't understand before and then in front of you is that golden altar of incense there and that has to do with with worship heart worship you know Jesus said that true worship will be in spirit and in truth and it's like out of a burning heart 
you're worshiping the Lord and you're really praying, but it's, it's that worship. And that has to do with your emotions. But see, even though your mind can get revelation and your emotions can be in love with the Lord and you worship him, if you blow it with your decisions, your will, it can really hurt the relationship. See, people can get really touched in a church service. They can, they can hear a sermon and they see things they've never seen before. They get touched in the altar and I mean they weep God, or that you know they, they they're crying out to God they're deeply touched but at the same time they can go out and they can make wrong decisions to sin and do things they shouldn't be doing they can ruin the relationship I'll tell you what God's after more than just your intellect and more than just your emotions he's interested in your will that you'll say Lord nevertheless not my will but your will be done in my life that's what he, he wants he's wanting that our decisions are going to line up with what he desires for our lives and his word and these things come out of a personal relationship in prayer i believe personally that the disciples saw so much power in jesus's life i mean i've had people some of the most anointed people in my opinion and I, you know this is, i believe is an educated opinion in this area but some some of the most anointed people that may be in our generation I've had them pray for me and I have felt the power of God in an unbelievable way so think about them walking with Jesus himself I mean the most powerful time God has ever touched you imagine if you were living in the days that Jesus was walking the earth and Jesus laid his hand on you okay they saw a level that was unbelievable and I imagine as they watched him, they noticed that Jesus would get up early and slip away and pray. They noticed that sometimes he would be fasting when they're eating. They noticed sometimes that he would go away all night and say, don't bother me. I'll see you guys later. Don't come looking for me. I'll find you. And he'd go off and be alone with the Father. And they saw this and they were probably trying to figure out what is the source of this man's the, the power that he's walking in like this and they probably concluded that it had to do with that relationship and so as they talked amongst themselves and they said you know we perceive <laughs> that it must be his prayer life and so they probably kept nudging each other and finally whoever the loser was says all right you know i'll ask all right and so they go up to jesus and say Jesus would you please teach us how to pray and Jesus said yeah and so he begins to teach them the Lord's Prayer but which is not just limited to some you know reciting some little thing it's a pattern for prayer but he taught them how to pray and I have no doubt that they saw that it was out of his prayer life that this flowed because Jesus would say things like this I only do what I see my father doing I only speak what I hear the Father speaking. And they knew that he had to be in, the, in some kind of a flow. And I remember God touched me years ago. There was a man that, it was in Ennis, Texas of all places. Sometimes God will meet you in a small little podunk town 
where there is nothing but i'll tell you what they have it is a tiny town but it very well may, may be the last place in america that has an outdoor drive-up movie theater <laughs> that you can watch still sitting in your car but anyway i was in little ennis and this preacher came through and those those two elderly ladies man i tell you see when you walk with god you know what's of god and what's not these two elderly ladies knew god when i tell you that they knew god i'm not saying that as somebody that was young back then that i'm telling you as somebody that's you know 41 years old been in the ministry for 20 years that these ladies knew god knew the voice of god and knew the spirit of god and even though around them was a bunch of religious people that didn't really care about the move of god going on through uh, Brownsville or Toronto or whatever they couldn't care less about it but these women knew that it was God thank God that God got me around people like that if I got around the wrong person I could have missed a move of God in my life that's the truth but they knew it was God and they would they would take me places I remember Rodney Howard Brown was coming to town one time this is back when that extended revival happened at Calvary Cathedral in the early 90s and I went man the power of God it was unbelievable but anyway different story they heard about this man coming to Ennis and he was really anointed and they told me you need to go that's all I had to hear and so I got a group together we drove down there and I remember that he prayed for me and it was significant I mean it was significant God touched me deeply I could not get off the floor for a long time and that hasn't happened to me very often and I mean it was like I mean at least an hour they told me that I was just totally out of it and the Lord really touched my life in, a, in probably one of the more significant life-altering ways that I've ever been touched and I was so hungry though and I remember that after all of that that I, I found this man of God and I called him and I asked him you know look you're the guy pray for me I want to know you know what do you do to develop this type of ministry and he this is what he said to me he said well he said i'm old now and uh he, he there's a lot of things i learned and probably a lot of things i forgot but um, this is what he told me i'm just telling you. and i'm thinking to myself come on man give me something and he said he said but i'll tell you what he said have you learned how to pray i said well i'm working on it he said, that's what you need to do and that's what he told me that was it and I began to research and I found that every man or woman of God throughout history that God has used in a very significant way has been a man or woman of prayer. And most of the time, they were also a man or woman that, or woman that were given to times of fasting. John Wesley was a man of prayer and fasting. And his legacy continues to this day. And there's not too many people I can say that. And so that spurred me on to begin to study, well, how do you pray? And I began to learn different, you know, patterns of prayer. Larry Lee did an amazing job in that book, Could You Not Tarry One Hour, which I have all of our interns read. Amazing job teaching how to pray. Of course, the tabernacle pattern of prayer, etc. But nonetheless, I can't get into all of that, but it was out of prayer that God began to really touch my life he began to show me things out of the word I never saw before he began to to lead me into a pattern of 
studying certain subjects that prepared me for my destiny and he began to really touch my life and give me revelation and give me things like a prophetic word or, or speak this into my life and and I began to get to know the Holy Spirit I'm gonna tell you you better get to know the Holy Spirit because there's a lot of other spirits out there but those that know the Holy Spirit are not going to be deceived and it's interesting in the scriptures I'm gonna give you a couple more things it's interesting to me in the scriptures that you see a pattern now David was a man of prayer and worship you'll notice though that David was also a great warrior probably one of Israel's greatest warriors they ever had but he was a great prayer warrior first before he was a great kingly warrior there's a pattern and when you look in the scriptures you see God sovereignly called Moses let me say something about Moses this always stuck with me you know, Moses had his personal burning bush experience everybody needs a personal encounter with God you know what uh, the younger generation is looking for they're really truly and this is the same throughout you know however many decades past and you say it about the younger generation now I was saying this 20 years ago but it's true they're looking for an encounter with the Lord for themselves because religion isn't going to do anything for anybody but anyway Moses had to have his personal encounter with God he had this burning bush experience that had to happen in his personal life then you read where he goes to Pharaoh he take God uses him to bring that nation out and an entire nation million plus people follow him to Mount Sinai and they're standing there where God Almighty descends on the top of Mount Sinai the earth is shaking but what's on the top of that mountain fire smoke Moses because he had a personal burning bush experience in his personal life he was able to lead a nation to have their burning bush experience that's important because we're not going to be able to bring other people into something that we ourselves have never been and I stand by this some people may I don't think that you can give somebody something that you just simply don't have I mean you're going to have to get alone with the Lord and let God fill you up amen but anyway when it was time for Moses to depart who was going to be his successor Moses knew he was going to die and I, I began to study this Joshua and Samuel both of these men were incredible men of God Joshua and Samuel are some you know if you study their lives they're some of the most remarkable men Joshua was the one that led Israel and conquest the entire land of Canaan and set up uh, the territory for different tribes to live I mean he was an amazing great accomplishment but the thing I noticed about Joshua that stuck out to me was this of all the people and all the things that could have happened you remember Moses went up Sinai and there was what Aaron and then there was the 70 elders Joshua was with him and they went up and the Bible says and this is in your Bible if you haven't read it that they went up Sinai part way and they saw God they ate and drank in his presence and they lived that's what it says I believe they saw a pre-incarnate Christ on a throne all these men had an encounter with God 
But yet, when it came time for Moses to depart, who was his um, successor? It was Joshua. And what stuck out to me about Joshua was this. You can look this up in the Bible. When Moses would go pray, Joshua would go with him. And then Moses would get done and leave, and Joshua would linger in the presence. He didn't want to leave. I imagine Moses had to eventually be like, go get him out of there, you know. We got things to do. But Joshua would linger in the presence of God. You know, about Samuel. Samuel is such an amazing man of God. Samuel's life was amazing. He was the final judge he set up the Davidic kingdom, man. He anointed David. He was an amazing man. But what was, what was it that stuck out to me about Samuel when he was a little boy and he began to study under Eli that it says, this is in uh, 1 Samuel 3, I believe, but it says about little Samuel that he would, as the menorah was beginning to fade some in the holy place, he was in there in the tabernacle near the ark and he would sleep there. He was not content somewhere else. He could have been anywhere else. But Samuel wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Maybe Eli was teaching him, even at a young age, to do certain things. But he would slip in there and he would sleep by the, in the presence of God. And I believe those that are hungry, what would it be like? You know, a spouse begins to look for their other spouse. And what in the world? And... They find them tucked away somewhere in the presence of the Lord. What would it be like, you know, a parent looking for their child and they're tucked away in their room somewhere in prayer? I mean, it's like something in them hungry for more. See, that right there, that hunger for more is going to be what brings people to find the Lord. And some may say, well, how do I get that hunger? Ask for it. I pray that God put a hunger in me that will never die. I don't know what happened, but when I went to Brownsville, I've told it so many times, but when I went there in 96, I mean to tell you, God touched me in a way that to this day, I mean like 20 years later, to this day, there's still something burning in me that was imparted in my life. But you know what? We have to contend for it. And I remember, you know, over time of praying, I said, Lord, I cannot have a home here with my you know, beautiful wife and my daughter. I mean, wonderful family. But I was like, I can't have a place where you're not here. Your presence isn't here. And I was hungry. And I began to talk to them about prayer, etc. But I wasn't content with just it, God not being there. You understand what I'm saying? And I began to be hungry and I began to press in him. Over time, his presence kept increasing in our home. What I'm saying is, is that if people will be hungry for more, they'll find the more. But if they're content where they are, that's all they're ever going to know. So let me, let me close by saying a couple things, and I'm going to give you two stories. So here, let me give you a quick list of things that Satan fights the most in churches. Number one is prayer. Satan will do everything he can to stop prayer in a church and I'm going to give you a story to back that up here in a moment but the number one greatest threat to the devil is prayer he knows that a praying church is a powerful church he knows that a church 
that is really going to go after God and pray that they're going to be a threat to him in that city he knows that they're going to be a threat to see a harvest come in in that city and to see a move of God and he's concerned and he is going to do everything he can to get prayer out of that church number two is witnessing and soul winning major threat to the devil when I had the great honor of, of talking with Steve Hill in 2003 and him praying with me and all of that he told me we were just sitting together he was sitting in front of me leaning over talking to me giving me advice about ministry and life but he told me he said oh, Scott listen he said um, don't you think when you start winning souls and you start taking away the devil's little soldiers from him that he's just going to sit back and let you do it that's what he told me he said it's going to be a fight number three major threat to the devil the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts the devil hates it and people under the influence of the devil also will hate these things it's a religious spirit many times it could be other things number four the fivefold ministry number five teaching that exposes the devil Satan hates that and the last one I would mention is teaching that leads people to repentance and righteousness Satan hates that he wants a hyper grace message that makes people feel comfortable in their sin so let me read something here I want you to give me your best ear because I'm gonna give you two stories and I want you to hear these stories and it's how I want to close this sermon number one let me just read this about infiltration and destruction there was an ex-satanist that wrote this and I'm gonna give you a testimony here that she shared she wrote during my years in Satanism I was carefully trained and I in turn trained others how to infiltrate and destroy various Christian churches now listen to what she's saying Satan's goal is to make every Christian church like the Laodicean church described in Revelation 3 15 through 16 where it says I know thy works that you're neither hot nor cold I wish you were hot or cold but because you're lukewarm neither hot nor cold I'll spew or that means vomit thee out of my mouth and so it makes Jesus nauseous when people are lukewarm and she goes on to say my goal the goal in churches or Satan's goal for churches is to have them full of a bunch of passive people that never bother to read or study the Bible all they have is a form of godliness but deny the power thereof y'all hear what I'm saying this is a lot of wisdom she says this is described in 2nd Timothy 3 she said these type of churches full of lukewarm people that are passive she said these type of churches are absolutely no threat to the devil and she said I was given an eight-point plan of attack that can work in any Christian church that's interesting because one of the people that I've known down through the years that's come out of hardcore things you know whether it be Satanism or whatever was that lady that I mentioned her testimony and my wife led her to the Lord it was a pretty radical story and a, a radical situation her family I mean they were deeply involved in Satanism and they threatened her life and they were you know it was weird 
I mean, they were leaving like sacrificial remains in her lawn and telling her they're going to kill her and all this. And the threats were legitimate because there were people involved in that coven that probably could have done something like that. And she was scared half to death because she hasn't she hadn't learned how to trust the Lord yet. And one of the things though that she was telling me was that she was trained to infiltrate Christian churches. And listen, she was going to a church every Sunday there in that town where everybody there believed she was just a Christian. She attended there for years. But her goal there was to destroy the church from within. That's why she was there. And she was telling me that this was very common. It was interesting hearing this story of somebody talking about this and the fact that I actually knew somebody personally that was doing that very thing. And she told me again that it was actually quite common, which I believe that to be so. But this was the eight-point plan of attack that, the, that this lady is giving her testimony was taught. She said, number one, you're going to have to establish some kind of a profession of faith. You're going to have to pretend that you got saved. And these people may give some kind of an elaborate story that makes you think they had some radical conversion, some radical vision of Jesus and some awesome thing that happened to them and gets everybody oohing and aahing about their testimony. In actual fact, they're lying through their teeth. But they've got to establish some kind of profession of faith. Number two, they're going to have to build credibility. So therefore, they're going to, have to be faithful in church attendance and, you know, be givers and be involved. It's sad, but... Um, some of the Satanists are more committed than some of the Christians. Anyway, but they've got to build credibility. So once they make a profession of faith and once they build credibility, this is what number three was. And this stuck out to me because I was reading this and I was thinking, this is an amazing testimony. Listen to what she says. Number three. After, it's like you've got to pretend you got saved and you've got to build credibility. That has to happen. But here's the next thing, the most important thing, that you destroy the prayer base in the church. Isn't that something? That's number one goal is to destroy prayer in that church. That's how much of a threat it is to the devil. I'm about to read you a story if somebody pulled that off. Number four the next one is to spread rumors and division. How many church splits? How many rebellions? How many times have people bucked up against the preacher and everything else that it started because of rumors? Pitting people against each other. Number five was to teach and change doctrines. This is why, let me just say this. This is why it's so important that churches have some kind of a screening in place where you get to know people the bible says specifically and it's so important that we obey the bible how many would agree with that the bible says to know those that labor among you and the word know means intimate knowledge not just a casual acquaintance but you really know them i mean that to me does not make for a safe church a safe environment for children to have people like that that have wormed their way into being teachers or laying hands on people. Number six was to break up family units. 
and to try to bring a lot of division that way to really try to keep husband, husbands and wives apart to keep parents and children apart one of the things I've really loved about River of Life and it's just been the grace of God but there has never been a big division like that there has always been the young people have always felt a connection with the adults and vice versa and it's always been a family all right number seven is stop look at this one stop all accurate teaching about Satan and then number eight was direct attacks through the dark arts against key members of the church so basically um, you know just using witchcraft against them which can be extremely oppressive you need to discern that stuff and break the power of that amen all right so let me read you this story about somebody pulled this thing off and you know it's interesting to me but it's sad we need to make sure that we're led by the spirit all right so let me read this i'm just reading this woman's testimony she said the single most important goal of the satanist is to not pray out of that church there are so many scriptures about prayer that we cannot begin to list them but a strong church is a praying church prayer requires some self-discipline and unfortunately the majority of christians spend very little time in prayer and let me give you a true story of how a satanist destroyed the power of the very church in which i was delivered this woman got saved and came to this church and it was such a powerful church and that preacher was such a powerful anointed man of god this woman was really deeply involved and she got totally delivered there she said that shortly after i was delivered i'm reading her story we were horrified to see that the high priest of a large and powerful coven in the city in which our home church was located started attending our church i personally knew the man i knew his family while i was still in satanism and he personally threatened myself on more than one occasion within two short years he and his co-workers completely destroyed this powerful wonderful church many times my friend and i pled in tears with the pastor and some of the elders to stop what was happening within the church but they wouldn't listen to us we could not accuse this man they call him roy but it's not his real name we couldn't accuse roy of being a satanist because of course we had no proof it would have been our word against his which of course he would have denied but we did try to show the pastor and a couple other elders on more than one occasion that the fruit of his life was not scriptural now that's interesting because jesus said you'll know a tree by its fruit so don't discount that that's why i'm saying we need to get to know people over time and i'm not saying that everybody that's a troublemaker is is a you know a satan is infiltrating some of them probably are but there's a lot of goofy christians amen <laughs> all right let's just move on roy was a very well was very wealthy he joined the church shortly after he started attending it and he claimed to be well grounded and knowledgeable in the scriptures which he was he contributed large sums of money to the church and attended every meeting and activity and joined the choir at the time our church had an extremely powerful prayer meeting every wednesday night a couple hundred people attended and the prayer meetings that we prayed as a unified body were so powerful that we were in meetings so that literally the holy spirit shook the church building these people were serious about prayer and because of these powerful prayer meetings she said 
um, as many would expect, the church began to get a breakthrough and grow. Membership grew and went from a couple hundred to a thousand less than a year. That's, that's fast. That's to the degree that it's kind of a little bit dangerous when it starts going that fast. This is an exceedingly dangerous time for any church, and the pastor and the elders were no longer able to know everybody personally. Instead of dividing the church up and keeping the numbers down, they just kept adding on. Anyway, less than six months after joining the church, Roy stepped forward and told the church that God had put a, a great burden on his little heart for America. And he said that God wanted men in the church to start coming once a week at noon to spend an hour in prayer for our country. And this sounds so spiritual. And he was willing to lead the group. And everyone thought this was just wonderful. Roy was much looked up to within the church. Within a couple months, he was made an elder. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he was made an elder, Brother Zach. Could you? Anyway, and shortly after that... <laughs> And shortly after that, elected to the board of directors. After about four months, after establishing the Prayer for America group, he launched his two-prong attack. He and his wife and about 20 choir members tearfully told the choir leader that they must stop attending choir because it took too much time away from their families. They claimed that it was just too much of a burden to have to attend Wednesday night prayer meeting. Then to have to go to a choir practice. So needless to say, it didn't take long for the choir director to approach the elders to have the choir practice during the prayer meetings and do away with prayer. Of course, having their own prayer just before practice, the elders agreed, big mistake. How many knows we're supposed to pray about stuff here from God and not just make dumb decisions, right? All right, so the elders agreed and 20 members rejoined the first attack had been successful because the choir was large and a significant portion of the church members were now neither praying nor benefiting from the power of those prayer meetings. Most of the other church members began to wonder if prayer was even that important at all. After a month of this victory, Roy attacked at a meeting of both elders and board of directors and told them that because of the fast rate of growth in the church, they didn't have enough time teaching individuals to grow in the Lord. Or about how to share the gospel with others. This is a true story. He said that the Sunday schools just couldn't get the job done. So he pointed out the fact that people did not know each other personally. And they needed to have smaller groups. Which is all valid points. But his solution to the problem was to stop the large unified prayer group altogether. Split everybody up in small discipleship groups. Where they could be individually taught on how to grow and evangelize. Which sounds good on the surface. Except you're doing away with prayer. And the pastor and the elders went for it. The prayer meeting was completely and totally disbanded. No more prayer was going on in the church. And these little small discipleship groups formed. And of course, they put Roy in charge of forming the groups, which he chose to lead them. Uh, the people that he chose to lead them were Satanists that he knew and brought in to lead them. The prayer and the power of the church was destroyed. And we went to the pastor and some of the elders in tears trying to tell them that scripturally, these prayer meetings were powerful on the backbone of the, the church, the strength of the church, but they refused to listen to us. From each one, we heard the same thing. Well, Roy is the first to know about the importance of prayer. He started the Pray for America group. Many of the strongest Christians in the church shortly left to attend other churches because they discerned something was off. Within a year, the church was in total shambles. 
The pastor became discouraged, left the church. The older and stronger members completely left. And the church only became a shell of what it once was. There's a lot I could say. But obviously, the reason I shared that story was do you see how serious the devil is about getting prayer out of the church? That he would even send people into that church to infiltrate it to stop the prayer. That's what it was all about, get prayer out of this church. Because a praying church is a church that's going to see a move of God and is going to see people getting saved and healed and delivered and hit by the power of God and lives transformed. When you take that out, it literally is like pulling a plug out of the wall and the power begins to dry up. And here's the last one I want to share, and then I'll, I'll close out with just a couple things. But this is a different story. But I just want people to be aware of some of these things. Listen, you know, not everybody that's a troublemaker is going to be like this. I understand that. I've met some Christians that were sincere Christians that, were, that did some really goofy things, okay? And you think, what in the world were they thinking? And they cause problems and everything else. But I just want people to be aware of the fact that not everybody that goes to church is somebody that you need praying for you, is not somebody that needs to be working our altars. Hello? It's certainly not somebody that doesn't need to be teaching, and they don't need to be in any type of influential uh, position whatsoever. They don't need to be on the worship team, and they don't need to be in the choir if you've got a choir in your church. But nonetheless, a lot of places, again, a lot of people don't have developed discernment to pick up on these things. All right, here's a totally different story, but I want to show you something in this. All right, this lady's name here, they're calling her Mary. This was a totally different woman that got saved, and she come out of, of deep places in Satanism, and she said that she was trained by a lady. She calls her Mary here, and she said, here, I'm just going to read it. This is her story. One of the people who trained me how to infiltrate churches, this was her specialty. Her name was Mary. I also went to one of the several special training camps for witches on how to destroy churches. And it was even taught by a well-known um, preacher or whatever that was on TV. And, she's, and this lady says, really, I'm not surprised. Paul wrote that Satan's servants would reach positions of leadership within the churches. He told the Ephesians elders that from among them in Acts 20:30 would come ravenous wolves to destroy the sheep. All right, so this lady goes on to say, I'll never forget the first time that Mary commanded me to come to a certain city in Kansas where a big evangelistic crusade was being held. It so happened that the crusade was held by a particular denomination that, you know, they were real strict about certain things. So Mary instructed me I was to wear long sleeves, a really long skirt. I had to have my hair long. So she had to get a hairpiece and everything. She said, um, I had never worn such sedate clothes in my life. And I thought I looked terrible. Of course, my ideas since becoming a Christian have totally changed about that. But she said, anyway, I was to meet Mary at this hotel room. And she knew some of the top people involved in the crusade that were there to make sure that everything happened the way it was supposed to, according to their little agenda. When I arrived at the room, I thought I'd done very well in my clothing but I'd never been to this type of church before. And when she opened the door, she looked at me and grabbed me by my arm. You come in here. And she, and she said, you can't go looking like that. Remember how they dress and all this. You've got to be accepted. So she dragged me into the bathroom and 
took a washcloth and washed off every bit of makeup I had. She said, I was horrified. I protested the whole time. But Mary was very impatient about the whole ordeal and says, how many times do I have to tell you that you've got to look just like them to fit in? Hello? You know, listen to this. This is what this lady is saying. I mean, they have no agenda here except just being honest about what happened. Now they're a Christian. They want people to know. She said, you know, she was right. We could totally move freely throughout many of the people at the crusade. Everyone just assumed we were Christians without questioning us at all. It was during that weekend that Mary taught me more about, um, you know, people being uh, hit by the power of God, which, of course, is real. But she was saying that when people allowed themselves to have like they came up to them and they submitted themselves to get prayer from a witch that they were really releasing some evil into their life so mary understood that when people knelt before us or even bowed their heads they were accepting what we gave them long story short um she was saying that it really ruined some people's lives all right so my point in sharing that is just a couple things number one i want to expose the devil real good and some of his tactics but number two I want you to understand that not everybody out there that attends Christian meetings are good people amen it's kind of quiet because there's a sense of resistance in my spirit the devil does not like what I just did right there as this is going out on the internet and everything else but this is true my wife came out of a family involved in Satanism and witchcraft and we've known people personally and I'm just telling you that these things do happen but again, not everybody that's a troublemaker in a church is going to be that. I mean, some of them are just goofy. And so I want you to be aware, though, there's a reason why in Christianity we've got to have a filter. You've got to have a, some kind of a screening about who's going to be teaching, who's going to be working with children, who's going to be praying for people. And you've got to have things set in place. It's important. And everything I've always been over I've always had that pattern and I've been a part of some very large gatherings where there was a lot of people and I've always told the people that we have those here and some of you guys have known me for a while so you know that this is true I've always told them look we have people that have badges don't let people pray for you unless they have badges I know the people that have the badges and I filter and I screen things out why because we want a safe place for people that's really going to be of the Lord and I don't think personally that this whole thing of just having a free-for-all where everybody can pray for everybody in these big meetings like that. I mean, it's one thing to be here and we all know each other. But, you know, you, you just go some places where there's a lot of people and it's just a free-for-all or you have large churches like that. I don't think that that's safe. I think that we need to use some wisdom. And the other reason why I wanted to share these stories was because I wanted you to see and hear these stories and hear how serious the devil is about getting prayer out of the church. And so that's why I made up my mind a long time ago. I was going to go after prayer. And there's been, you know, here and there, not very many, there's been different people that, you know, have not liked whatever, but that's their problem. It's not going to stop. And I done made up my mind that whoever likes it, whoever don't like it, this is a house of prayer. Some may come, some may go. It's still going to be a house of prayer with or without them. And prayer ain't going anywhere. If somebody don't like it, then maybe there's something in them that don't like it. Amen? But still, we're going after God. And I believe because of prayer, 
there's some major, major breakthroughs that are going to happen in the days to come that's going to open up some harvest fields. And when you start getting deep into prayer, prayer is the place where the strongholds that the devils had over a region. You get a group of people, and it doesn't take a lot, but you get a group of people really unified, the strongholds that the devils had over regions can come down. The strong men can be bound. The harvest can crack open. You know, you start getting deep into prayer, and that's where these strongholds start breaking. And that's where the heavens start really opening. So there's an open heaven over River of Life, but it's the persistent, heartfelt, continued prayer over a long period of time that pierced through the second heaven and cleared it up and now the glory of the Lord is here it didn't just happen overnight it was persistent prayer and this is how Satan is destroyed and defeated and listen revival the move of God comes because people prayed that's what I was sharing earlier about the Allah Hebrides it was the men in that barn and it was those two old ladies they prayed and they sought God and God came down and transformed a region it's going to be prayer that gets the job done and Satan may just keep that in mind Satan may try something down the road I don't know to try to get prayer out of a church but it won't work here I'm on to his tactics and whenever you get deep into prayer and people are praying in the spirit you know Bible says pray in the spirit on all occasions you know where that's located with the armor of God and so it's interesting praying in the spirit also the groaning and the travailing and the deep intercession that that right there see we've seen so many people delivered of things and healed and touched in different ways and but it it's the prayer is the power base behind that in a church so anyway I think people get the point tonight but let me just encourage you to not be content in a dry place but to be hungry for God you know let their pray that God put such a hunger in you to go after him and begin to pray and to not be content where you are but to be hungry for more of God and yes it does take some discipline but nonetheless if there's a hunger in somebody they're willing to discipline themselves and you know it's interesting because we make time for what's important and people make time for their whatever their entertainment but if it's important enough we'll make time to pray and if you'll make your house where you live a place of prayer and you really go after God you watch as the presence of God begins to abide in that home and if God's people will make his churches a house of prayer again like they're supposed to you watch as heaven doesn't open up and the glory of God come in that church and it become a powerful place where people are getting saved and healed and delivered and lives are being transformed but it is prayer that's going to make it happen all right so Lord we thank you so much for your word tonight and Lord I pray that that things would really begin to move forward about prayer in this nation and I believe that's why right now it's 2017 but I believe that's why God has has you know shifted things in our government right now with the Trump administration because the nation was going down a very negative path and God's people began to pray and I mean really pray and God has responded by placing people in positions that will honor God and, but it was the prayer of God's people that broke the power of that 
And Lord, I pray that you will come mightily upon intercessors in these last days. We ask you to raise up prayer warriors and intercessors around the world in these last days, Lord, that will give you no peace until your purposes are established in the earth. Lord, that they will be used to help pray in this end time harvest and this great revival and a bride made ready and to see the purposes of God go forth in the earth in an awesome way before the coming of the Lord. We thank you for it and we pray that now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.